Much of what we've been able to achieve through the Candid Frame has been a result of your kindness and support. You have been a regular listener, and you've helped to spread the word. And it was through your generous contributions that we were able to create the Candid Frame app and make it available to everyone for free. You can continue to support the work we do here by contributing as little as $2 a month to our Patreon campaign. You not only help to meet our costs of production, but provide us the means to improve the quality of the show and do so much more. Contribute today by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame. This is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame. I have a great admiration and respect for the men and women in our armed services here in the U.S. And though I don't always agree with government politics, I have no doubt about the courage and commitment exhibited by those serving in our military. Some of that comes from my friends and family who have served, but it also comes from the visual history that has documented the lives of those in our military. Much of it has been produced by talented newspaper and magazine photojournalists who have risked their own lives and safety to tell those stories. But there are also photographers who serve within the military who document not just the drama of conflict, but also the quieter and more intimate moments of our military both at home and abroad. Dave Murphy has served such roles in more than one branch of the military, and today helps to train and work with new generations of young photographers who also choose to serve. He's also a photographer that's finding new and personal ways of leading his own photographic life. Well, David, welcome to The Candid Frame. Um, It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yours is an interesting story. I've talked to people who sort of got their training with respect to their photography in the the military, as, as you did. But I really haven't talked to people in depth in terms of the the education and the training that you get in the military as opposed to just going straight into J school. Right. For people who are not, you know, familiar with that, explain what the difference is. Sure. No, absolutely. You know, I've gotten a uh, privilege to be able to go to school at, you know, a college, a university. I went to Syracuse university and got my, my photojournalism degree. Uh, but I've also been primarily trained as a, a photographer through the military. So just to give you a little background, you know, before I went into the military as a photographer, I had no training whatsoever in you know photography. I had never even picked up a DSLR camera in my life or actually an SLR because we used film back then. Right. So, uh, I got trained at what was called the defense information school in Fort Meade, Maryland. And, uh, they teach all the major, you know, uh, public affairs, visual information, uh, career fields. So I learned on basic still photography and that's where I picked up again, an SLR. I learned how to use film, learned how to develop film, uh, used a dark room, all these great skill sets that of course, you know, aren't really, um, used today much because obviously we're all digital. Uh, but uh, that's where I got my initial training in photography and, you know, I didn't really uh, have an interest in photography and, and, <laughs> 
truth be told, didn't want to go into the career field initially. But when I once I was in it, I realized just how much I like I had a talent for it and also really just loved expressing myself in you know the, the camera and being able to take pictures and just what you could you know create with that. And then, you know, throughout my career, you know, in, in the military specifically, you know, you don't just go through initial training. There, there are always opportunities for more advanced training uh, that's both offered at, like I said, the Defense Information School, uh, but also there is opportunities for training at other places. places. So I was uh, lucky enough to be given the opportunity to go to the military photojournalism program at Syracuse University. And basically, that's a year-long program where you, as a military member, are essentially for all intents and purposes, acting as a civilian, because your your role for that year is to just go to school. Uh, you attend pretty much every core level photojournalism program, at least in the one I did, over the course of a year. So essentially all the, the classes that a typical photojournalism student, you know, going through a four-year university program would take over the course of their four years, they condense down to one year. So it's a great, great program, great way to learn a lot of information very quickly and really expanded my overall knowledge base with regard to photography, but also photojournalism. Like, I think I really learned how to tell stories with photography uh, by going to that course uh, and, and really to a level and degree at which that I had not experienced in the military. And I think, you know, anyone who can you know, take advantage of getting that opportunity who's in the military, you know, definitely they should take advantage of it because it's such a great opportunity. So I, that's where I kind of like got the basis for my entire uh, learning knowledge within the military. And then when I, I left the military for a short time uh, to finish out my degree, I was able to, to matriculate my credits that I'd earned at Syracuse and eventually got my bachelor's degree in photojournalism. So that's kind of a, the core basis of my knowledge with regard to photography and photojournalism, pretty much my, my time in the military and my time at college. And, you know, I would say, obviously, the difference between the two is that in the military, at least, you know, they teach you, first of all, the, the class that I went through was three months and, you know, they have to, having to teach all the core basics of photography and, and whatnot and, and storytelling with, you know, uh, with the camera and that amount of time, you're only going to get so much out of it and you have to get a lot of it also on the job. So I think, you know, obviously the difference between that and going through perhaps a, a four year process, uh, like a college education and getting that is you know, you, you develop differently. Like I think a lot of our young uh, photojournalists, photographers who come out of that school, you know, they're going to get that sort of on the job training and learn by doing. Whereas perhaps more so in the college environment, you're learning more of the theory and you, you know, you're going out and obviously doing it as well. But you know, the, obviously the difference there being one, you're in an educational environment, you have professors who are giving you guidance, but you know, in the more of the working environment, you're kind of doing you know, the job, you know, you have to do the work and you're pushing the work out there. So I would say, you know, there's less degree for not failure, but, you know, again, you have to be able to do the work and get the job out there and get the job done. So uh, I would say, you know, again, the, the military is more like on the job training, whereas, you know, college, it's more like, hey, we're, we're learning, we're in a learning environment. And then you have those professors and that theory. So I, I hope I've tried to I hope I've explained it. Let me know if I have it. Yeah, yeah. You know, the slots for that uh, are probably few and far between. So, you know, you, like you said, you did not have much knowledge or experience in photography or photojournalism before. How, how, why do you think you've got, you got the slot? Sure. So, uh, well, let's start with 
just joining the military and, and, and becoming a photographer. Yeah, you're right. There's a limited amount of opportunities available, but you know, I think if you have the drive and desire and, you know, urging to want to join that career field, the, the recruiters, you know, if you will, the military recruiters will definitely find that opportunity for you. They, they definitely want people who are eager and eligible, you know, at a, at a core level to, to join the military, to want to do photography, videography, graphic design, you know, writing and whatnot. Uh, so, you know, those careers are, are, you know, it's one of the smaller career fields in the military, but, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for those people who want it. And in my, my time in the career, I was always surprised by the amount of people who came into the career field, open contract, you know, they did not even choose a job, they, they were just sort of selected for it. It always amazes me, but everyone I've talked to who is in that position, you know, they've all been very thankful for the fact that they've gotten that position because they didn't realize that that job even existed. Uh, and, you know, they were, they were just so happy to be able to do that job because it's so great because you get to see all the different aspects of the military, you get the document, but then you kind of go back to your job, you know, and, and doing the, the photography work and doing the editing or the video and stuff like that. So you necessarily get to, get to, you get to visit, but you don't have to live. And I think that's sort of one of the appeals of the job. Going to the exact Syracuse program that I went to, yes, you're right. That is a very exclusive program. There's only, I would say, a few slots available each year for active duty military to attend. And why I was selected for it, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I applied for it and, and perhaps they saw something in my work and a potential in there uh, and they gave me that opportunity. You know, it's it's something I'm, I'm very happy for. Um, and I think, you know, perhaps I exhibited a, a level of potential that uh, – you know, they didn't see in other applicants. I don't know, but, you know, I'm always very thankful for the fact that I had the opportunity to go. You were given the designation of combat photographer, but I think that it can be a little bit misleading because it doesn't necessarily mean that that's all you're photographing. All right. So share with us, you know, what kind of things you did photograph as a photographer for the military. Absolutely. Yeah. I started out in the Marine Corps and in the Marine Corps, pretty much, all of the photographers are, are designated sort of combat photographers. And that's because we're trained to a level and a degree, which just by default being in the Marine Corps that, you know, you can be deployed and, you know, you're going to be potentially more, uh, I would say in a position to potentially see combat. Uh, but I would say the actual amount of combat photography I did in the Marine Corps, uh, if I were to look at the entire thing, I'd say less than 1%. Um, because again, it's just the nature of the beast with regard to any sort of military, you know, any job you do in the military, the level of combat, real combat you see is very little just because it's, you know, it's not like the movies, right? It's, it's a real, you know, it's, it's a lot of waiting for something to happen and then something happening. So, you know, during my time in the Marine Corps, I was deployed. I, I went overseas to Fallujah and I was never in a combat scenario. Uh, thankfully, I was I was kind of lucky I avoided that. But, you know, a lot of my friends were and a lot of my friends who do photography and documentation were. And, you know, it is it's a very strenuous, very harrowing experience, you know, in, in terms of just being around such a dynamic uh, area. But uh, what I photographed mostly, I would say, was, you know, ceremonies, events. Uh, I did a little bit of portraiture, a little bit of storytelling. I would say a lot of the, the photography I did, again, revolved around those different uh, aspects. But, you know, I would sometimes be given the opportunity to, to, to again, tell a story more in-depthly uh, with, you know, actual people. Uh, but a lot of times I had to find those stories on my own. 
but in the Marine, in the military side, in the Marine Corps, I was given plenty of opportunities to shoot really cool different events that went happening. You know, for instance, the Marines are great at amphibious landing, and they have a, a event every year or in multiple places called the CAPEX or Capabilities Exercise. So imagine you're watching a beachfront like you would see at any beach, and here come these high-intensity uh, military Marine Corps hoverboats that are coming and landing on the, the shore, and then you have Marines just jumping out of them and, and you know, attacking the shore, attacking the, you know, the area, and, and making a front into the land. And then you have uh, aircraft flying overhead, and then they're, you know, dropping you know, mortar rounds or, or different types of rounds on the ground, uh, you know, t- explosions are everywhere. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great demonstration and also a great training exercise for the military members. And, and that's one of the, the cool things I got to shoot uh, during my time in the Marine Corps that wasn't, uh, I would say, combat related, uh, but it was a great experience. And then going on in my time in the military, I also was working for the Air National Guard and I shot a lot of what the Air National Guard did. And that was a, a definitely a, a different environment with regard to the Marine Corps, just because you saw so much aircraft and, you know, sort of flight ops. And I got to spend a lot of time documenting the, the PJs or pararescue jumpers uh, with the 106 rescue wing and just seeing them, you know, do what they do, which is jump from helicopters and set up their rafts or get on jet skis. And they can be pretty much anywhere in the water, either offshore or, you know, with the help of aerial refueling, way offshore in the ocean almost and being able to recover uh, boaters who perhaps are, are stranded in their boat or you know rescue someone who may be drowning or something like that uh, that's, a, that's a really cool thing that I got the opportunity to photograph as well Typically photojournalism is found in the pages of a newspaper or magazines. In what ways were your images used? Sure. So my images were did find their way to some of the, the publications you know mostly the publications that were created and you know, owned and operated by the military. Uh, so the military, at least I would say 10 years ago when print was more in vogue 10 plus years ago, you know, we had a lot more based newspapers. Uh, we had different magazines that, you know, were produced. For instance, Airman, Merriman magazine was a very popular magazine where all, all the major services had their major magazines. So when we were doing our work, you know, being featured in one of those was really an awesome experience. Uh, but from a larger perspective and, and what we sort of what the role was, right, was to produce imagery that would potentially get picked up by you know, major newspapers, major magazines uh, and get or maybe, you know, websites and whatnot and then rebroadcast out there. So, you know, you'd have you, know, you shoot something, you're on the front lines, perhaps. And, you know, it's then the next day being published in the New York Times or whatnot. And it's it's telling the story of what the military is doing. Hopefully, obviously, the, the good stuff we're doing, you know, and that's that's kind of like what we wanted to highlight was, you know, the stuff we were doing that was hopefully had a positive impact. But I would say I was published in uh, a few magazines, a few newspapers, uh, not tons of stuff. And then, you know, I kind of came in where digital was you know, going from being of, in, being in its infancy to being the norm. So it was it was interesting to see the transition. You know, again from where you know being published in the base newspaper was the big thing to now being published on the web was where you wanted to be at because obviously you got that much larger audience and you know your imagery just got out there and was seen by so many more people. With the today now, with regard to the photojournalism that I create or, or the members who work for me create, you know, the primary place where that's going is uh, what's called Divids Hub, D-V-I-D-S-H-U-B dot net. And that's actually the repository for all the 
photography, videography, graphic design, anything that is created by, you know, the military creative professionals who do photo or video or, or audio graphic work. That's where everything is going. And then it's picked up by there by news agencies. So now it's great to see something where, you know, perhaps a video clip I've created is picked up by a, a local news station or by a major news station. Or, you know, I see mm-hmm. uh, mostly my, my friend's work or, you know, my coworkers work find their way to, uh, again, national news. Like for instance, uh, I was recently in Puerto Rico. Uh, I was in, in Puerto Rico for uh, Hurricane Maria relief support. And I worked with uh, a team of photographers, photojournalists, uh, videographers. And their work was you know, constantly picked up by uh, not only local Puerto Rican news agencies, but also you know, major national news agencies and whatnot. So that's, that's where, if you're in this career field today, that's where you're looking to see your stuff being picked up by the, the influential blogs and websites and, and whatnot. Those have kind of supplanted and replaced you know, the newspapers and magazines that we've so uh, admired in the past. So uh, do you interact and what is your relationship with uh, photojournalists, freelance photojournalists or, or journalists that are working for traditional newspapers or magazines? You mean like civilian uh, photojournalists and whatnot? Right. Mm-hmm. Sure. So we uh, we work, you know, like a lot with local media. So you know, when you're on a base or whatnot, you know, you're you're constantly engaging with the local media, local photojournalists. Like we have uh, newspapers and whatnot that operate uh, and, and different news stations that operate like outside my base. Right. So we, we constantly work with them to help enable them to, to get the imagery they need of, of what's going on on base. So if there's an event, you know, we can help escort them around and, and take them to that event and give them the access and in, in hopes that of course they'll cover our story and, you know, help get that out to an audience or a group that maybe we don't, um, get to interact with as much. So, you know, that's, that's one aspect in the way that I work with, you know, different photojournalists, but, you know, in, in general, for the most part, you know, if, if it's a big story or if it's something that, you know, is captivating the, the local, or I would say this the general um, viewership of, of the, the nation or the world. Like when I was deployed, I remember working with, you know, different members of the media, different photojournalists, different freelancers. And, you know, again, a lot of times, it would be sometimes where we're both just out there taking pictures or sometimes we would help enable them and support them in their operation to help get stuff. So, you know, again, civilians have a, I would say limited knowledge set about what goes on in the military. So a lot of times they rely on the people who are in the military to help give them sort of a, you know, clear guidance and understanding about, what they can and and can't do what they should or shouldn't do what they, you know, what is sort of, they don't want to, they never want to get in anybody's way and they never want to burn bridges. You know, they want, they want to make sure they're doing kind of like what's, what's accepted, you know, for the most part, because they want to get along with everybody. And I think you see that a lot of times in the great uh, reporting work and the great uh, documentary work that's been put out there, especially about like conflicts in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, and a lot of the times, you know, the, the photojournalists, the videographers, documentarians or whatnot, they had that access and they were able to, to get what they got because of their overall comfort level with the military members. So I think we do a, a large part in helping them sort of acclimatize to just the general military culture. And that's kind of like been my overall experience in, in working with them. You know, not so much like side by side uh, working to document something, but more, you know, supporting and, and helping them understand kind of what the military is all about. You know, when you were deployed and you had access to 
documenting a, a variety of different aspects of, uh, of the conflict there. What were some of the stories that you covered and, and had the opportunity that you tell that surprised you in terms of what you, uh, what you had might have understood or, or imagined the issue to, you know, the, the, the circumstances to be before you got there? Absolutely. Yeah, I would say the biggest surprise for me and just going into a deployed environment, especially one that had been, you know, by the time I got there, we had been in country for years. So I think what was most interesting, you know, to see as someone who'd never been deployed before was just how big the sort of military industrial complex is, you know, and, and just the amount of stuff that goes into setting up a base and, and a foreign land and, and seeing all that before me and documenting it from the eyes of a photographer and just seeing, you know, again, you have walls of uh, barriers that were created, you know, to provide, you know, support, you know, these, I can't remember the name of them, but they're, they're giant bins where you, you put sand in and that's kind of helps build your wall and your barrier. Uh, and, and seeing that and seeing all the vehicles and, and just seeing how a, a base and a military operate in an employed environment, you know, it was very interesting. And, and from a photographer's standpoint, for a journalist standpoint, you just wanted to kind of document it all because, you know, it's all new and interesting and, and wild and just very interesting to you. And so you document that and you hope that the, the people, you, you obviously what you can release, what you can push out, you hope is uh, interesting and found interesting by others. Um, I would say, again, that was probably the most surprising thing to me because I'd never seen it you know, up close and personal like that. I'd seen other photographers who'd gone downrange and, you know, seen what, you know, what the military buildup looks like in a deployed environment. But being there and seeing it firsthand, seeing how it all operated was very interesting to me. And really everything, everything I saw and in engaged with, whether it be some, you know, flying from one base to another or, or seeing you know, the, the leader of Iraq, you know, interact with the, the military leadership and, and kind of documenting that. It was all just, it was very interesting to experience and live in and know that I was living in a moment of history that, you know, very few people ever would get to see firsthand. Uh, so just, just the overall being there, you know, that was the most interesting to me. You know, if a photojournalist was given an assignment to go out and shoot today, uh, there would be a general story in mind. You know, say a certain politician is coming to town and the idea of what the story is, uh, is in the mind of the photographer as they go to document it. And then they have to come up with a photograph that sort of illustrates that story and the importance of that story. So that, you know, when it gets displayed in the newspaper uh, that day or the following day. It has the context of it. But with you, you may, because your photographs are being used in a variety of different ways, you may not have had that singular narrative to tell. So when you would be given an assignment to shoot and you were creating a variety of different images, how did you, what was your process in terms of going through, you know, whatever, maybe hundreds of images that you shot, choosing which ones you would shoot, caption, and then put into whatever database or uh, system that you needed to, and you know, how, how did that work? Sure. I would say if, if I had, you know, so there are certain times when you are given a direct story to shoot, right? Like, you know, shoot this event, shoot this thing. Uh, we're demonstrating a new piece of equipment and we need you to document that. And, you know, you choose obviously the best 10 plus photographs of your shoot and you upload those for, 
times when you're just sort of floating around, almost feature hunting, if you will, you're really just looking to see what makes good imagery. I'll go back and talk to you about the Capex, right? So again, there was a lot of, that was a full day's event with tons of different things going on. And, you know, I wasn't given a direct uh, purpose to document something specific. I was just there to shoot the best, coolest looking photographs. And that's sometimes something that we're asked to do, shoot, shoot photographs that will ultimately, you know, look cool, you know, show, you know, show off the equipment, so to speak, show off the members doing something cool. And, you know, that serves, to, you know, many different purposes. So like I shot some really cool aircraft photos. I shot some, some nice photos of, you know, military members, uh, doing a, uh, what's called a Neo exercise, which is, uh, you know, and it's an evacuation exercise essentially. We're trying to get, you know, people out of a, a building or an area and, you know, those aren't like, you know, there isn't a story attached to that, so to speak, you know, it's just a demonstration, but you know, those photographs can go into a database and then they can be, they can live on in many different ways, you know, for perhaps I know, I know many of the images I shot during that particular exercise were used in posters, uh, were used in, you know, information campaigns, ad campaigns, uh, helping tell a story, perhaps, you know, they were taken and used in, you know, different types of, uh, commercials or posters. So I would say with, if you don't have a defined sort of story you're trying to illustrate, you just choose the best work. You just choose the best, you know, shots that go with uh, that imagery and then you caption it based on, you know, how you would, you know, any sort of, uh, standard captioning practices in terms of what's going on in the image. Um, but it's almost like in, in certain ways, it's almost like putting your imagery into a stock archive, right? Because you know, if you, if you went to Divid's right now, Divid's hub, and you, you looked it up, there's so much imagery out there. And so you want to create really great imagery that stands out amongst the rest. And it's also relevant and timely. You know, the images I shot for that event, oh, geez, uh, I think it's over 15 years now that I shot the, those particular photographs. So, you know, they're nice photos. I still have them on my website, but they're not timely and relevant. Um, so it's, it's all the, the same basic things you think of when anyone goes out there, shoots a news story or shoots something. You know, if you're going out and shooting something, you know, if it's not direct news story, if it's just feature hunting, you want to make sure what you're shooting is, is relevant to, you know, your potential buyers or people who would use your, your stock imagery. Uh, so it's kind of like something, you know, we have to keep in mind, I would say like, for instance, in the military uniforms change all the time. So a lot of the imagery that I shot in the early part of my career is good for historical purposes, but you know, it's not something anyone would use to build an information campaign or, or build a poster campaign out of because it's all old uniforms. And it's something obviously we as military would recognize immediately, maybe the civilian market, you could get away with it a little bit, but you know, for the most part, that's that's pretty much what we do when we're we're sort of free forming it. But we do have we do have assignments. A lot of times, like I work with uh, you know photo journalists today, and you know again the day to day sort of thing is you know go out and and shoot something that relates to the story you're doing. So if you're writing a story about something, and again I would say all the all the people in the in the career field in the military right now they're photojournalists which means that not only they're taking the photographs they're writing the captions but they're also writing the stories in a lot of instances there's you know very few areas that I know of within the military where it's just you know you get the you know just the purely photograph you know photograph and take pictures and just write captions a lot of times now you have to have that skill set. You have to have multiple skill sets. You have to be a jack of most trades and, and for the most part. And, you know, again, when I send out someone to, to cover a story, you know, I'm expecting photographs that relate to that story in addition to obviously captions and, and a directed story. 
very rarely, you know, do you have just like shoot for the fun of it and see what you come out with. Obviously there are those times, but it's, it's, you know, in this, in this day and age, the ops tempo is pretty high. So, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's more of a luxury than I would say a right. You know, after you left the military, you had a little stint there as a paparazzo or paparazzi. Right. Tell me about that experience, especially after coming out of the military and having all that access and all of that, all, all those experiences. Sure. That was uh, uh, definitely a part of my life that I found interesting, mostly because, you know, I was I was just out of the military. I was a civilian. I was living in New York City, trying to make it, you know, in the Big Apple. Which, if if that's your career path, uh, no, that's not that easy. Uh, I've known many friends who have worked, you know, and been a freelancer in New York City, and have been working for many of the major publications out there as a photographer. And it's still really hard to make a living. Uh, you just freelancing nowadays. It, it's tough. Uh, but when I went there, it, it wasn't. It wasn't too bad, but it was still really difficult to make as a freelancer. And and being a paparazzo, uh, that was definitely an experience. Not what I want to go back to, trust me. Uh, but it was it was it was all very had a high corollary to I would say being in the military in a lot of ways. And the person I worked for who owned it was actually a British military. And you know he when I was he was telling me about the craft and telling me about how the the, the career works. You know it's a lot of waiting around for something to happen. And then a few seconds, a few brief moments of high intensity action. And that's a lot like, you know, if you ask somebody who's, you know, been outside the wire, who's, who's, you know, been in the military, I would say that that's something that they can definitely relate to, you know, ask them, you know, they can probably tell you better than I can, but you know, that's, that's kind of what it was like to be in that role. You, you'd be waiting outside an area for a long time, hoping for a, a celebrity to perhaps walk down the street and then you maybe have, 10 seconds to get a quick shot of them before they, you know, go into another building or go into their car or, you know, zoom off. And you're not only doing that, but you're also doing that with about half a dozen other people who are also uh, waiting for that same shot. So it's, it's high intensity action mixed in with competition and the competition can get pretty brutal. Uh, You do not want to get on the bad side of anybody else uh, who's out there uh, but you, de- you tend to develop a, a sort of culture, a sort of band of brothers, if you will, with the other photographers out there. So it was definitely a, an interesting experience. I, I saw a lot of celebrities during my time doing it. But it was it's also like, again, not only was it tough to make a living doing it, uh, which is why I eventually went back to more of a full time work uh, doing traditional photography. But, you know, it, it was also a, a job with extreme highs and extreme lows. Like when you got that shot, when you were able to get like I got an exclusive with uh, with a couple celebrities and earned uh, a good a good bit of money off those photographs. That was so great. You know, it's such a great high. But when you miss the shot or perhaps there was someone else in your shot or perhaps someone blocked your shot and you didn't get the shot and you were waiting all day for, for you know, someone you know, for that one second, few seconds mm-hmm. of opportunity and your shot was blocked or again, you know, someone stepped in or you didn't get the shot or was out of focus or who knows, a million other things could possibly happen when you didn't get that shot. Oh man, the low was so low. It was so bad because you were just like, you're riding on that for your pay, you know, uh, yeah. that, that's your paycheck right there. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a tough career for you. I don't even know how anybody does it nowadays because back when I did it, at least there were magazines, print magazines that are willing to buy your work and pay good money for it. Nowadays, I mean, there's so many websites out there. I don't know how any of them. There's so much competition. Oh my gosh. LA was the worst. I never did it in LA, but I mean, LA 
There's, there's everywhere. New York City, it was a growing market when I came into it and, and worked with it in New York City. And, and when I was leaving it, it was really expanding. So I don't know how that many people can and make a living uh, doing the work. But, you know, uh, again, it's something I did. I'm glad I had the experience. I'll never go back to it. Uh, and I, I don't, it's not recommended for everybody, but if you want to try something different, there it is. There's your chance. Get the experience. What, what was, what was your biggest takeaway from that experience? What, what, what did you learn from that that helps you with your work now? I guess the biggest thing I took away from it was patience, you know, um, being able to wait for the shots. Uh, I also took away a general understanding of who those people are. You know, I talk to people who don't, understand that field, you know, the people have never done it before, don't know, you know, really, you know, they're not bad people who do the job. It's just, they kind of get labeled that way because, you know, we, we tend to see an outsider side of, of what they're doing. And it's just photographers trying to make a living doing their work. And I would say that the overall, what they're doing is very similar to what I would say work a day, a newspaper journalist do when they're trying to capture photographs, perhaps of someone being, I don't know, perp walked from the, uh, from the courthouse to like the police car. Right. That's a friend of mine who derided my, my role in paparazzi, uh, did that exact thing. And I was like, ha, you're a paparazzi now you're doing the same basic thing. But yeah, I guess I, I learned a general understanding of the people who do the job. They're not bad people. Uh, they just happen to be answering a need. You know, there's a great documentary series on Netflix right now. Uh, and I, I apologize, I'm blanking on the name, but it's about videographers who work at night in L.A. documenting, uh, you know, sort of what happens in L.A. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've watched that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's a great series. But if you think about it, they're doing almost the same thing that like a paparazzi would do. They're, they're kind of photographing things. They're jumping on you know, different situations uh, and they're covering something that we as society want to see. But deep down, we know it's like. Yeah, are we bad people for wanting to watch that? Are we bad people for wanting to know like what celebrities are wearing? You know, me personally, I don't care about celebrities. I don't care who's wearing what, but there is a group of people, you know, in our society who could pay good money to want to see that material. And, and they're just fulfilling a need. You know, if they didn't do it, someone would do it. So I got a better understanding of that. I would say I got a better, at a more core level, I got a better understanding of my equipment because you have to be on point with your camera equipment. You have to be, you know, ready to go with all your settings. I'm sorry. Um, sorry. Let me do that again. You have to be ready to go. You have to be on point with your equipment. You know, there's no, there's no messing up because you don't get a second chance. A lot of times you have to be ready to go. And that was something that is, is not only expressed, you know, that I've seen expressed in the military, but you know, it's just something good to have as a, as a rule of photography is just make sure your equipment is on, on point, make sure your batteries are charged, make sure your memory cards are clean, make sure your settings are right because you may not get another opportunity to shoot whatever it is you're going to shoot. So that's, that's something I gained from that experience. I also gained a great understanding of New York city. Uh, you know, just the streets and backways and everything like that. I could probably get you around New York city. No problem. From one point to another, just, just <laughs> let me be your guide. Uh, so that's, I could imagine. I, I would say, you know, some of the more positive things, but again, like I said, really tough life st- lifestyle, really hard to work. I learned, I don't want to do that again. That's the biggest thing I, I learned from it. And, and so, yeah, yeah, it was, it was a great experience to have, uh, I'll never want to do it again, but I learned a lot about myself and my equipment. Tell me about what you're doing now and how you came to, uh, uh, to do it. Absolutely. So I joined the air force uh, as an active duty officer, 
about seven years ago now. And it's been a great job been doing uh, public affairs primarily and uh, helping to tell the Air Force story. You know, I, I, I had sort of a, an, an interesting career track. You know, I didn't see myself in this position. If you'd asked me back when I was a, a teenager just joining the military, uh, I would tell you this is not what I anticipated myself doing. But uh, it's been a great experience so far. And the... So the, the career path that got me here, again, like I said, you know, did the Marine Corps, uh, did the Air National Guard, and then I got my degree in photojournalism from Syracuse, and I wanted to see how I could to use that in different ways, you know, and, and being an officer in the military, I saw it as a, a very prized opportunity. Uh, it's something I you know, always want to, to do, and I was very uh, honored to be given the chance to be able to do that. So I... I applied to be an officer in the Air Force. It took about two years from the time I applied to the time I was actually commissioned. And I've been doing public affairs uh, for the Air Force uh, for, you know, again, like I said, the last seven years. And it's definitely been a different experience than, you know, what I was doing before is actually having the camera around my neck and, and taking the pictures. I've had to step back from that and be more of a manager, more of an oversight. I still get the opportunity to pick up the camera every so often, but for the most part, I'm managing the, the you know, the airmen who uh, do the job. And that's definitely been an interesting experience because I've had to obviously, you know, let go of the desire to do it myself and focus more on, you know, the mentorship of uh, airmen who are growing up and, and making sure that they're, you know, providing them, you know, those opportunities to learn and those opportunities to photograph. Um, you know, we as officers, you know, tend to be the last people to actually do the, you know, the photography work. If you're just talking about photographers, because again, we want to give those opportunities, you know, to our airmen as much as possible. You know, that's, it's their opportunity to learn and grow and get those experiences and, and help tell those stories. And we, just provide them those opportunities. You know, I'll work to, you know, help uh, open the doors for different types of opportunities or capabilities or whatnot, and then make sure, you know, the airmen or the photographers are getting those opportunities to document that or tell those stories or write those stories or shoot those videos. And so that's kind of what I do today. And again, like I said, it's been a great experience, great learning experience for me, uh, really treasure the opportunity. And uh, I'm glad that I sort of went that direction with my career because it's been really enlightening to see how both sides of the overall career field work. So how does your perspective change in the role of the photographer being in this position where you're not just looking at your own work, you're looking at the work of these other photographers that are contributing and, and submitting work to you? Yeah, I, I think about kind of myself and my uh, time growing up in the career field and kind of what I would have liked from other people looking at my work, you know, and, and giving me the critique. You know, I focus on that a lot. Because again, like I'm lucky to have the experiences I have and, and the, the learning, you know, what I've learned. And I try to do my best to, you know, give back to, to the airmen and, and to the other people I interact with, um, with regard to providing critique, with re, you know, regard to giving opportunities. So that's one thing that I, I make sure to emphasize where I am because, you know, I want to make sure that the airmen are out there taking pictures and that they're growing and that we talk about their work. And I think that's the biggest thing going from doing the job to, to managing those who do the job is to ensure that, you know, they're not just taking photographs and not understanding, you know, what they're shooting, but that they're taking photographs or understanding what they're shooting and that they're being able to explain why they took that shot. And then, 
talking about that shot as a group and saying, why does this shot work? Why does it does? Why doesn't it work? You know, I could easily not do that. I could easily take a step back and just sort of let whatever happens happens. But I, I don't want to be that kind of manager or leader. I want to make sure that I'm providing as much mentorship and, and opportunity as I can. And I've always done that throughout my career is I've always you know put myself out there and given you know people the opportunity to talk to me and you know let them, you know, if they want to provide me their work. And, you know, it's, it's been a great experience to, to provide that mentorship. And I think it's very similar to what, you know, maybe like a photo editor would do or you know i've been to a couple workshops in my time and i've done you know portfolio reviews or i'm sorry i've had my portfolio reviewed and so uh, i take a lot of that you know back with me and i try to give it back and and i think that's you know the best thing i can do is give back to to those who create and, and hopefully make them better and give them as many opportunities as possible to you know just get out there and, and pick up their camera and, and take photographs and tell great stories so tell us about your, your podcast. How did it come about and why did you, why did you create it in the first place? Ah, finally. Good. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been a big fan of podcasting. Uh, geez, since about 2009, I, I think I discovered podcasting, I think, oh man, like 2007 or so, you know, I, I started listening to many different podcasts and I just, I really fell in love with the medium and the idea that you could just you know, put out a radio show and have someone listen to it. And, you know, there, there was no barrier to entry except for obviously the equipment, but just, you know, it was very democratic, you know, in that way. So I started a podcast back in 2009 that was my first experience doing it. I had a great time, but I had to kind of put that on hold uh, because of my career. And, uh, you know, again, all my podcasts, everything I've done with podcasting has centered around, you know, photography or visual journalism. And so again, like I'd done the podcast in 2000, it was, a, it was a great interview show about photography, kind of similar to what you're doing. But again, like I had to put that on hold. So I, uh, a few years ago, I had the idea where I wanted to not just do like an interview show, but do more of a panel discussion show. You know, I thought there were a lot of great topics out there about the world of visual journalism, uh, but they weren't being really discussed. You know, I think the, the closest corollary to what I created with my podcast around the lens was the This Week in Photography show. You know, it was Frederick Van Johnson getting a bunch of different photographers, different experts together to talk about more general photography subjects. And I thought that was a great show and a great format for me to build my show on because while I thought he talked great about general photography, there was no real discussion about visual journalism, photojournalism. It was more just like, Again, general photography subjects, weddings, landscapes, stuff like that. The occasional talk about, you know, photojournalism, but it wasn't the, the main meat of the show. So I really wanted to have a, a panel discussion with rotating panelists that talked about different visual journalism topics. The, you know, again, news topics and gear relating to that career field. And so we, I started in uh, actually Veterans Day of November 2015 uh, with, a, with a friend of mine. And we had, you know, again, one guest. And we've been doing it for almost three years now, two and a half years, actually. We just celebrate our, our 100th episode. We do 50 episodes a year, one every week, except for, you know, Christmas and New Year's. And, you know, like I said, we just we just passed our 100th episode and we're doing really well. I've got the next, uh, let's say, two and a half months or so booked out with with guests coming on the show. We just recently had Joe McNally on the show. And, you know, I, I started the show just just, you know, not just to talk about different topics, but also as an opportunity for me to network with, you know, different visual journalists. You know, I think that's kind of one of the reasons a lot of us get into podcasting, at least initially, is that, you know, opportunity to sort of get a foot in the door with, with folks that maybe you, you wouldn't think of talking about normally, but once you have this sort of platform, now you have an opportunity to network, right? 
So, uh, so I started the show. Yeah. Again, for those reasons, all combined, it's been a great experience so far. Like I said, we had Joe McNally, we've had Pulitzer prize winners. We've had, you know, great award-winning photojournalists. Uh, uh, if you know, Mike Sharkey James from the Petapixel photography podcast, he's been a guest on multiple shows. So it's been great having all these people, you know, who I admire in the career field on the show to talk about, you know, what's going on and just to have the platform to talk. Like I said, I love, you know, I love podcasting. I love visual journalism, you know, documentary filmmaking, photography, photojournalism. I love all these things. And just being able to have a place in a group to meet on a weekly basis to talk about it is, is so wonderful. And even if nobody listened to the show, if I had one listener, you know, like my mom, uh, I would still do the show because it's still <laughs> great just to have the opportunity for conversation. And, you know, but, but thankfully we've, we've grown steadily over the, the last few years, you know, definitely not any of way you're, uh, at your level, but maybe hopefully someday we will be. Um, but uh, it's, it's been a great experience so far. And I hope, you know, that uh, your audience or, or members of your audience, those who definitely, if you're definitely, in, if you're into photojournalism, visual journalism, documentary filmmaking, and you want to hear people, you know, again, experts in the career field talk about that type of stuff. I think it, it definitely would lend itself to a, a section of your audience, you know, who listens to your show. Uh, from all those conversations that you've had on your show, what has been probably sort of the standout in terms of how that kind of photography, photojournalism, do, uh, documentary style photography is changing. I think the, the, the thing with regard to our career field, you know, is, I'm just going to talk about photojournalism here because it, it's been the one that field that I think has been most affected by time and technology. And I think the stark reality is, and you know, I've gotten feedback from people who say the show is a little bit too dark because we tend to be very down on the career field, but we're only being honest. And, you know, I've got my co-host, Zach Roberts. He's a working freelance photojournalist. And if you listen to any show, most of the times we get to the issues of things like pay and, you know, the stark realities of trying to make a living in the career field. And what I think I've learned, you know, most from talking with folks who, who do this job on the outside, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a, a full-time gig, a full-time job. So I don't have to, you know, I don't have the same sort of lifestyle situation as others who, you know, have to do this work full-time. And the stark reality is it's a hard job and it's, it's only it's so much harder than it was like 10 years ago. It, it's hard to you know, get the money to do the job. It's hard to get paid by people who use your work. It's, you know, even the folks who, uh, big media conglomerates who will use your work, you know, it, it's tough to get paid when you have to invoice them yourself. You have to be your own invoicer. And that, that's just the, the toughness that comes with any freelance position, but seems especially difficult in uh, the freelance photography and freelance photojournalism worlds. So I think, you know, again, that's been sort of the thing that's shined the most light. I always knew this career field was hard. And it's kind of one of the reasons that I left freelancing myself because it's a tough job to make a living. But just, you know, talking to folks on a daily basis, or I'm sorry, a weekly basis about these topics, you just realize it is really hard. And, you know, I think it's only going to get more difficult with time because, again, the the, the saturation issue that, you know, the saturation with imagery, digital imagery being out there and the amount of people who are more than willing to give away their product for free and devalue the overall product of photography and photojournalism in the world, it's not going away. It's only going to get more and more prevalent as more and more people get get cameras. But uh, I would say that that's been sort of the most eye opening experience I've had uh, talking to you know people of different walks of life. But I would say even at the most darkest point there is opportunity out there for those that are 
willing and able to, you know, not only focus on their craft, because again, you can't just be a great photographer, a great photojournalist and expect to make a living. You have to be able to be a great social media person. Uh, you have to be able to engage on all the different platforms. You have to have a great Instagram account and, and really work that, really work your community. That's, that's the only way to, I think, if you want to make it as like freelancer to, to really do that, because you have to leverage yourself and, and you as a person, as a personality, in addition to leveraging great photographs, you know, you're never going to make it as just a great photographer it, in, in the majority of time. At least that's what I've learned, you know. And for, for me, I just want to say that, you know, I will eventually probably go back to this world someday in the future. Uh, you know, I think freelancing is is great in terms of stuff. But in order to, again, make make the difference in there, you have to leverage all different aspects, not just your career, not just your, your skills and your talents, but also, again, this whole social media sphere uh, as we know and exist in with it today. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Well, I, I guess I, w- I want to pick somebody who's not like well known, but again, if you're talking about person I most admire, you know, I, I gotta give it up for for Joe McNally. You know, he's he's been someone I admired for for more than a decade, and I was so lucky enough to have him on my show last week. Uh, and he is just a great photographer who's doing great work, and he continues to just be you know the shining light of of folks who are making success you know, in this career field. Uh, so I definitely have to highlight Joe. Uh, but I want to, you know, again, with, with regard to, to smaller folks, you know, I think there's a lot of great photography. I don't want to pick one person, but I just want to say there's a lot of great photography being created by our military men and women in the photography career fields. And I think I'd do a disservice if I name just one, but go to divotshub.net. Again, you're going to see so much great photography being produced by military members out there. And I bet there are people in that, you know, doing it right now who are going to be the big names that you're going to be talking about in the future that you're going to want to have on your show to interview. Uh, Because again, there's so many great talented men and women who are are doing the craft. And a lot of them, uh, not a lot of them, but, you know, there are some of them, like I said, you know, with regard to combat photography, who are in the actual, you know, stuff right now, you know, doing the hard job of not only doing everything related to being a great photojournalist, but doing it potentially under fire, under stress, in a deployed location, away from their family. And those those people definitely deserve a moment of your time just to see what's being produced out there in general on a, on a daily basis. Well, Dave, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, man. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time as well. Thanks to Dave for joining us this week. Find out more about him and his work by visiting djmphoto.com and remember to check out his podcast Around the Lens at aroundthelens.com. And you can show your support of The Candid Frame by writing a review in the iTunes store. As people search for podcasts to listen to, these reviews can lead many to listen to us for the very first time. And that can make a lot of difference. So if you haven't already, please take the time to do that today. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution to Patreon. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help us not only to meet the cost of production, but also allow us to improve our podcast. You'll find links for both on the Candor Frame website or the show notes. Thanks to Sarah Rooney and Mike Arison for the recent contributions. You guys are awesome. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS and Android. 
Not only will you immediately receive the latest episode on your phone or tablet, you can now easily share your favorite episodes on social networks and help spread the word. And if you want to drop me a line with comments or suggestions for the show, you can email me directly from the app. Download it today by clicking on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the other martintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at ibarianx. And this is ibarianx, and this is The Candid Frame.